the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. It is Friday, which means we are completing another week. Man, how time flies. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. We have a big variety of questions that have been sent in today. So uh, all we're lacking is your phone calls, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, it's a busy week here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, probably is at your church as well. It is Communion Sunday this week. Tonight, I'm going to be teaching in 1 Thessalonians, um, the end of chapter 3 through, I think, 12 verses of chapter 4, and um, no, maybe 8 verses of chapter 4. I can't remember. i got too many Bible studies going on. And then on Communion Sunday, of course, we are back in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, Sunday afternoon is our baptism. If you have not been baptized and you are a born-again Christian... Um, what's keeping you from getting baptized? Jesus said to do it, not to get saved, but you do it because you are saved. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And uh, we have a big outdoor event every summer. We like to to make it memorable for people that want to be there. Uh, So you are invited. If you'd like to do it, just tell somebody um, that you want to talk to one of the pastors, and they'll make sure that you are really born again, and we'd be happy to go into the waters of baptism. That will be following third service. Our third service ends usually about one thirty, and then by the time you get home and change clothes, uh, uh, we'll probably start to eat about 3 o'clock, and um, be in the water about 4 o'clock probably is what, what our what our plan is. If you are interested, you can go you can go to calvarysa.com and you uh, can get to the address there and everybody now has GPS so you can make your way there. So we'd love to see you and uh, we look forward to doing it. Okay, let's get to some questions. We have a bunch of them that have been sent in. So here is the first one it is from Aaron from our email inbox. Um, Hi, Pastor Ron. I have a professing Christian friend who has been living with his girlfriend for two years. He called me about his excitement of closing on a new home. I was happy for him, but I shared to him again about getting married. He always responds with, I am, but I have to get things situated first. He also said the Lord continues to bless him, first with a new job and now a new house. I don't want to sound envious, but I just want him to get right with the Lord. He felt a certain way when I brought the marriage thing 
um, to him, is it right for me to continue reminding him or just let it go? Aaron, I think at this point, uh, um, you've reminded him repeatedly. And I probably would simply warn him one more time. Um, you can't trample on God's grace, and that's exactly what you're doing. And uh, what, I would, what I would tell you to do is be careful. If you're going to mock God with the life you're living, then you do so at your own risk. You know, Aaron, this is one of the things that is so frustrating for me as a pastor, people that say they're Christians, and they don't really care at all about what Jesus says. Um, I said earlier, if you, if you love me, you will obey me. I said that regarding baptism, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll marry this girl, you'll get out of the relationship, you'll do something. And then to say that God is blessing him when he's living an unblessable life, he's probably got a new job because he's pretty good at work. Uh, he's got a new house because a new job pays pretty well. Uh, it's not like God withholds bad or, or good things, rather, from sinners. But to blame God or to, to, to mock a God by saying, oh, God's blessing me, so I'm okay— um, it demonstrates that he really doesn't have a heart for Jesus at all. This is a really dangerous place to be. And um, I would be fearful for my friend. What I would do is warn him one more time and then pray for him continually because he's really getting into a very difficult place. Let me tell you a very quick story. I had a, a friend of mine who, uh, um, when I first got saved, he knew I was really excited about the Lord. I was at Bible college, and we had a, a, a bookstore up there with all kinds of neat Christian hats. And so almost every week he would say, okay, give me a new hat. I want this hat or give me that hat. And I'd be bringing him all these Christian hats. And one day um, um, somebody where he worked just made a comment that that, uh, he and the woman I thought was his wife uh, weren't married at all. This guy's name was Mike. And I said, Mike, she's not your wife. You're not married. You say you're a Christian and you've been living with this girl all this time. And and I told him, I said, give me my hats back. I don't want you advertising for Jesus. And I said, how can you do this? How have you had a moment's peace if you're really a Christian? And he stopped me right there and he said, Ron, I haven't had a moment's peace in seven years. And that's how long he was living with this girl. And um, I told him, you're probably not saved, but if you are, Things are going to get hard. Things got hard. Well, uh, when we got to Texas, now this is sometime uh, after we left, he called me just to check in, and he said, I just want you to know, we got married. Um, God really tightened the screws on me, and uh, I, I just want to thank you, he said, for your faithfulness in telling me the truth in love. So Aaron, tell him the truth in love, but you've done that, so now just pray for him. And, uh, you know, the Bible says that we're not to have anything to do with people who say they're Christians but live like he's living. So that's what the Bible would tell you to do next. Cut him off from your home. Tell him you love him. Tell him this breaks your heart. Tell him you're going to keep praying for him. But you can no longer hang around with him pretending that he is a, a um, uh, that he's following Jesus Christ. I know that sounds harsh to Western ears, but that's what our Bible tells us to do. Aaron, thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Why, as a pastor, I can't tell you how heartbreaking it is for me when people take that cavalier approach to grace. Paul writes to the church at Rome, where sin abounds, grace all the bounds, all the more abounds. And and then he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? It's like to give grace a chance to abound. And he says, God forbid. Literally, that's what it means. God forbids it. And yet that's what so many of us do because we don't get um, judged quickly. We think it's okay because it's what we want to do. Really heartbreaking stuff. Here's a question from Angelica from our email inbox. Uh, Hi, Pastor Ron. I listen to K-Love and Air One Radio. Uh, I felt compelled to give them money. But my husband said I shouldn't do that, and they're not really a Christian radio station, and that they play Christian music but always talk about worldly subjects, and they should talk about repentance and not living in sin, Um, but they don't. Is my husband right? I don't want us to donate. 
uh, he doesn't want us to donate to them. What are your thoughts? Angelica, two things. I, I'm not an expert at all in K-Love and Air One Radio. I don't know anything about them. I, I don't listen to music stations. I want my brain engaged, so I'm listening to Christian teaching and that kind of thing. So when I have the opportunity uh, to, to listen to a radio. So I, I have no idea uh, what kind of station they are. I know that they play Christian songs, uh, but... Um, I just I can't vouch for them or or condemn them, so I, I don't really know. I can tell you this though, your your answer is easy. Uh wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. If he doesn't want you donating to them, don't do it. Uh ask him to pray. Tell him you felt like you were led to give. Um but because you don't want me to, I won't. But then ask him to continue to pray about that. And, and he's representing Christ to you. I personally think that maybe he's gone a little bit too far. You know, a radio station should, if they're Christian, they should talk about repentance and not living in sin. Uh, the problem with that, of course, is they're a music station. So that's not their thing. That's like people that want me to talk about politics or, or, or um, uh, worldly issues. Uh, my job is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and a Christian music station, their responsibility is to play Christian music. That's their mission statement. And their mission statement isn't to tell people to repent and stop living in sin. I'm not a fan of contemporary Christian music, at least on a commercial level. Um, but um, maybe your husband, if he would pray about it a little bit, uh, he'd lighten up. But until then, what you need to do is is be submitted to the wishes of your husband. Remember, how can two walk together unless they agree to do so? And that's what you want to do. So again, some of you may love K-Love. This is actually the very first time I've heard about Air One Radio. But um, I think that's probably what we ought to, where I ought to leave it. Thank you for the question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's an anonymous question from our email inbox. Uh, what is First Corinthians? Hello, Pastor. What does First Corinthians seven one mean exactly? I've been living with a very very dear female friend. Parentheses. He says platonic for almost two years now. I'm mindful to assist around the home, take out the garbage, yard work, general home repairs, etc as well as provide timely and consistent monies for rent, utilities, and food, even though she's never asked me to do so. Does this rooming arrangement conflict with Scripture and God's will? Now, let me read uh, 1 Corinthians 7. 1. It says, Now for the matter she wrote about it is good to abstain from sexual relations. Now, your email anonymous doesn't say anything about sexual relations at all. Uh, if you're living in a platonic relationship, Uh, and there's no uh, sex, there's no attraction, uh, there's nothing that's that's being done that is sinful, then of course it's not sinful. Um, I also think, and I don't know what the source of your conviction is, if it's other people and what they're saying to you, or if maybe the Holy Spirit's trying to get you out of something that is a dangerous place for you. You know, when a man and a woman live together, um, it's very casual, you get used to one another, you see one another, I'm sure, uh, coming in and out of bathrooms and things like that. I, I, maybe the Holy Spirit is trying to, to protect you. Um, that's between you and, and the Lord. But you're not doing anything sinful if there's no sex. And you might tell people who, if it's people who are telling you what to do, you might tell them to mind your own business. Do it nicely. Do it in love, but tell them to mind your own business. But First uh, uh, Corinthians seven one, um, abstaining from sexual relations, you're doing that at least according to this email. So the rest is up to you. Again, though, if it's the Holy Spirit convicting you, then I always find that God warns us about stuff we need to be warned about. So maybe the relationship can become very familiar or a little too casual. Your guard gets down, and who knows? So, so you have to determine what the source of your your um, conscience pangs might be here, and that's a choice for you. Don't let legalistic people um, make you do something, but 
again, I promise you, if it's Holy Spirit who's prompting this inquiry, then uh, remember, he is trying to protect you, and he wants the best for you. Thank you for the question. Sometimes people just can't stay at other people's business. This one is from Miguel from our email inbox. Ooh, this is a tough one. Hi, Pastor Ron. What are your thoughts about Brittany Griner, who received nine years for drug possession? What are your thoughts when these athletes, celebrities, and politicians that say, we will be praying for you, or God, please protect her? I do feel bad for her, but I can't help but think about people who say they're praying. Um, and when I heard that God doesn't answer prayers uh, for people who don't belong to him. Is that the case? Why do non-believers say those things knowing that God does not hear their prayers? Uh, Miguel, God, unbelievers don't know that God doesn't hear their prayers. We do because we have a Bible. But, uh, but before I got saved, I prayed all the time. God, help me win this race. God, help me win this bet. God, uh, do this and do that. You know, I, I get angry at God. Why is this happening? Those kind of things. I thought God heard me. I thought I was a pretty good person. I thought God deserved to hear my prayers. But you see, that's what unbelievers are like. They believe. They have access to God. They believe God is watching over them. You know, in one sense, it's good because they believe that there is God. But um, they, they don't understand that they're cut off from him. They have no access to him. So that's the simple reason. They, they know there's a God out there, and uh, they want his blessing, and so they pretend that they have it. Now, my thoughts on Brittany Griner. This is a hard one, I said. Um, you know, I am... Um, she's a smart girl. Um, she needs Jesus desperately. I think nine years is unjust, um, harsh, and unfair. Um, I'm looking at it from a Western perspective. Um, she was caught with cannabis and hashish uh, in a vape pipe uh, in her luggage. It is illegal to, to, to possess that stuff in Russia. She knew it, or at least should have known it. Uh, she is a public person, and when public people... Um, get caught with something they're going to be made an example of. And um, so my feelings are mixed. My heart breaks for her because the sentence, as I said, is unjust. It is draconian. Um, however, um, on the other hand, she should have known better, and there are consequences for our sin. Brittany Griner has got all kinds of issues. Um, she needs Jesus. We need to pray for her. Uh, I imagine she won't be in jail very long at all. Even now, there are deals uh, being talked about between Russia and the United States and prisoner exchanges, uh, and um, and she'll be brought home, I think, relatively soon. Um, remember, we've got uh, a, a, a leader in Russia who uh, is preoccupied with lots of things going on right now with this war in Ukraine. Um, so uh, I, I'm sure he's going to sort of uh, twist the screws a little bit uh, to try to get what he wants from our president. And uh, and I have no doubt that he'll prevail and Brittany Griner will be brought home. That's when her real danger begins. Because when she gets home, she'll be celebrated. She'll be celebrated for her sin. She is uh, married to a woman. Um, um, the girl needs Jesus. She needs Jesus really desperately. And uh, I think as Christians, it's our responsibility to pray. God, protect her. Uh, bring her home. But Lord, whatever it takes, win her heart. So Miguel, that's what I think. Um, and I'm sure there are plenty of others who have different thoughts. But, but especially people when we're traveling into other countries. We cannot presume to have the protections that we're blessed with in this country, legal protections, and, and for the most part, a judicial system that will will, will hear our case and adjudicate it fairly. Um, again, generally speaking, um, when, when she comes home, she's going to be even a bigger celebrity uh, than she was before, but but at least now, for the time that she's been there and the time that she has left to be there, she's going through a really difficult thing, and she is a young woman, and uh, uh, if I were her, I would be terrified. So, Miguel, 
Pray for her. Pray for her. Phones are quiet again today. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Matt from our mobile app. He says, um, hi, Pastor Ron. Yeah, let me get a phone call first, Matt, and I'll come back to this question. Somebody just popped in on the line. we got William on line one from San Antonio. William, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. I love you, man. Hey, thank you, William. Uh, my question is, uh, I have a buddy that's really been listening to uh, a pastor named Michael Hoggard. Or Hoggard? I'm yeah, sure don't you've heard him. of him. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to ask you what your opinion was of him. Uh, do, you have a, do you have a spelling, uh, William? I'll look it up. H-O-G-G-A-R-D. Michael okay. Hoggard. Yeah, I'll look it up on he the break. He does a lot of, like, UFO stuff and stuff like that. It's oh. just, I don't know. It sounds weird. Yeah, so. it is weird. <laughs> yeah, William, if, if he's a pastor and he's into UFO stuff, so your friend to avoid him like the plague. I don't know why well, this stuff is so fascinating. I, I'm i amazed at times, too. That, you know, people that, that they'll, they'll watch one person and get really enthralled, and they, you know, they won't read the Bible, they won't go to church, but they'll, you know, spend hours and hours, you know, watching somebody that may or may not be, uh, you know, telling the truth, so... Yeah, I, I would just that that's that's all kinds of problems and trouble. So just pray for your friend, and if he isn't going to listen, you know, uh, William sort of connected. I, I uh, somebody very close to me um, was into conspiracy theories, and Alex Jones was his favorite celebrity. And Alex Jones is being um, uh, decimated right now before the public. And all, yeah. I mean, he, he's never had any credibility, but, but for those who follow him, even that credibility is being stripped away. And uh, it's just when we get trapped by these tangents that we go on because it's interesting to us or we get caught in a, in a website, um, you know, we're, we're, we're taking the time away from um, learning who Jesus is, learning what he wants. And at the very, very best case scenario for your friend, he has absolutely zero discernment as it relates to the Bible and and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, I'll do a little research on him, and, and uh, maybe on Monday, William, have have some comments on him in depth. But but uh, just tell your friend to be really, really careful, okay? Oh, I have. I have. <laughs> okay, thank you, William. Thank you, Pastor Ron. Bye. Uh-huh. Okay, here's Matt's question from our mobile app. It said, Hi, Pastor Ron, what does it mean when the Bible says God is a just God? Just, Matt, as in justice. Uh, he's a just God. He doesn't favor the powerful or the weak. He doesn't favor the rich or the poor. Um, um, God is a just God, and his justice um, is equally spread among every living man or woman. Uh, throughout history. So that God is a just God. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, the prophets are are reminding uh, the, the people that, that God wants them to deal in their business matters justly. Uh, unequal weights uh, are, are condemned, you know, when when uh, the, the the exchange of money or the weighing of grains or, or certain gems, um, God says, do it with, with fair scales. And so that's what it means. God is a just God. He wants the best for everybody. God is no respecter of persons. And that's the thing that we have to remember about God. We don't live in a just world now, Matt. And even though we'd like to think that justice means something, it means absolutely nothing in the world that we live in. It'll mean everything in the world to come. Because Jesus will be ruling and reigning first for a thousand years from the throne of David in Jerusalem. And then after that, uh, he will be uh, ruling, of course, forever and ever and ever on a new heaven and a new earth. So um, God is a just God. You know, sometimes, Matt, when I get questions about uh, what happens when people who are 
are, are severely handicapped die and they didn't they didn't have the opportunity to know Jesus or they couldn't understand who he was or when uh, children die before the age of accountability, well, what happens to them? That's when we have to, we say God is a just God. He's going to do the right thing and he's going to always do the right thing. And in fact, he goes beyond the right thing. He chases people to death's door in order to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ because he wants everybody in heaven because he loves them. But justice demands consequences for unrepentant sin. And justice demands, because Jesus took the punishment we justly deserved, justice demands that we are acquitted when we stand before the Lord uh, at the Bema Seat of Christ. So that's what it means, man. It means God is fair. God is honest. He can't be any other way. And, um, Matt, that's, that's what it means. And Thank the Lord for his justice uh, over and over and over. Hey, we are just about at the end of this first half of the program. Hey, quick little cute thing. Later in this month, you hear the word to stand on uh, song that's going in the background. Um, the man who wrote it and produced it, sang it, is going to be here in August. And, and I, I hope I can convince him to share it here when he's at the church. It's Kevin Green. Hey, we got 30 minutes left in our week. We'd love to hear from you. See you in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh hey welcome back to the program 340-9585 william just during the break really quick and i had to do just a, a quick two-minute check uh i i, I looked up michael hoggard on youtube and um, there's all kinds of warning signs. It's not somebody that you want, anybody you care about to be involved with. You know what's interesting? These guys on the Internet, they have some followers. I look, you know, They showed a, a thing on YouTube of, of his church. It looked like it was six people there. So um, j- just be really, really careful. Tell your friend to be really, really careful. That is not uh, something that um, would be worthwhile, I don't think, at all. Scott has a question I like answering. This is from our mobile app. He says, Pastor Ron, who is your favorite theologian and why? Uh, Scott, head and shoulders for me, above everybody else that I've ever studied, and I have done a lot of studying, and I loved it. But when I could read, ooh, I, was, I, I would devour books. Uh, but, but without question, F.F. F. Bruce... Uh, like Frank Frank, F.F. F. Bruce, uh, he is with the Lord now. Uh, I cannot tell you um, what an impact this man had on my early life as a Christian. And as I have grown in knowledge and as I've grown in my walk with the Lord, um, he even becomes deeper. Um, just so rich. F. F. Bruce, he is um, probably has written the definitive book on the life of the Apostle Paul. Um, Paul, the heart of the Apostle, set free. Um, he, he has commentaries on Romans and the book of Acts that were life-changing for me. Um, um, just, just, there's, there's just nothing that you can pick up by him that I wouldn't recommend. Now, there are things about his ministry, uh, or not his ministry, but his theological background that, that I disagree with. But um, that that doesn't mean he isn't a treasure. So F.F. Um, F. Bruce, uh, by far, uh, is my favorite, and he was prolific as an author. Uh, he's actually, Scott, the general editor uh, on the best commentary series on the New Testament that I've ever seen. It's called the New International Commentary Series. Um, he does two of the uh, commentaries himself, but he's the general editor uh, for for the entire series. And uh, the New International Commentary Series, Scott, is something I think that any serious 
uh, student in the New Testament ought to have in their library. So he's my favorite. Now, there's some other ones. I love John R.W. Stott. Um, He's an Englishman and um, very, very rich. Griffin Thomas. Griffith. I always say Griffin. Griffith Thomas um, um, is another one. Um, I like... Uh, William Newell, William H. Newell, N-E-W-E-L-L. For eschatology, I love uh, John Walvoord, W-A-L-V-O-O-R-D. His commentary on Revelation is spectacular. Um, I I just, I, I, those are a bunch of them that have had an impact in my life Um, and and their go-tos for me. So uh, I used to like James Montgomery Boyce, and he's a, he's a, a, a Calvinist, a Reformed theologian, uh, but loved his commentaries. He also is now with the Lord. He was out of Philadelphia for many, many years. So there's just so much good stuff out there, Scott. Uh, the one thing you have to be careful of is there's a lot of bad stuff out there, too. And in my life, uh, I, I was uh, when I was just trying to figure out who Jesus was, I was studying at a very, very liberal um, school of theology in Claremont, California, probably the most liberal school of theology uh, in in the country. Uh, And, uh, boy, God really used that to teach me discernment, uh, things to look at, um, to, to, you know, sort of put my spiritual antenna up. So so, uh, there's actually a lot of value in going through, um, through even even bad commentators, um, and, you know, heretical commentators. So there's there's just so many good ones, just so many good ones. But by far, F. F. Bruce. Thank you, Scott. I like answering those questions because I want to think people are digging in and really, really studying. Here is a question from Greg. He says, Pastor, can you help me understand the purpose for the book of Ecclesiastes? Greg, it's really simple. It is. Now, we have to understand it's a poet, poem. So it's, it's, it's Hebrew poetry. Um, it's not necessarily chronological. Um, it, it has a high use of symbols and allegory, as you would expect from a book of poetry. Um, but... Uh, this happens to be one of my favorite uh, books in the poetic section. Uh, I prefer it much more than Psalms or, or even Proverbs uh, because this is a witness. Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes uh, at the end of his life. And Solomon is looking back on a life that he confesses is wasted. You know, Solomon was the, the wisest man who ever lived. Uh, apart from Jesus, of course, and Adam. Adam would have been smarter than Solomon. But um, uh, he was the wealthiest man. God blessed him with peace. Um, his wisdom was so much greater than the people around him that, that, that kings and queens came from all over the world to honor him and to pay tribute to him and to just sit at his feet and listen to his wisdom. And he blew all of that. He had a weakness for women. There was a thousand women in his lives. Uh, there, there were. Uh, he pursued knowledge. Uh, he pursued power. Uh, he pursued pleasure. He pursued anything and everything, um, Greg. And yet, in Ecclesiastes, he says, basically, it's all a chasing after the wind, or vanity, or emptiness, I like to say meaningless. So uh, it's it's a wonderful book. It, it's his testimony. Uh, it's, it's how we know that Solomon is in heaven. Um, but it's an older man looking back on a life that's been wasted and basically saying, I blew it. Let me give you one quick uh, example of what he wasted. We have the Song of Songs in our Bibles as well. Another uh, poem or a, 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 a literally a song that he wrote. Uh, and we know that there was one woman, just one woman, who had his heart. And yet with a thousand women in his life, he would come to the conclusion at the end of his life that every minute spent away from the one that I, that my heart was stolen by was, was a minute wasted. And basically he's looking back and saying, I blew it, I'm sorry, 
God Forgive Me, and that's the real value of that book. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate the question. Here is, we've got a caller on line one, Mike from San Antonio. Mike, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron, can you hear me okay? I can hear you, Mike. Okay, sir, no no scripture reference text today, but I have a pagan friend, uh, and we, we discuss Christianity frequently, and he likes to refute uh, the veracity of scripture based on the different languages and the translations that it's gone through over time. He's quite a gifted historian with a great intellect, but he has zero faith. And so I tell him, listen, I'm not going to argue Scripture veracity, and we go back and forth. But my question is, do you have, and I, I'm sure you do, a brief answer, uh, a paragraph for this guy? Uh, and, I, and you know what? He's blinded, obviously, but that you could articulate, uh, that I could share, and obviously the audience could use also, to people that use that argument, because I know it's quite common. Thank you. Yeah, okay, Mike, thank you. Uh, you know, it's the same argument that, that Mormons make. They say, well, you know, yeah, we believe in the Bible insofar as it's been correctly translated. Um, here's the here's the thing, and, and, and Mike, I'm not trying to, to, to um, shortstop your question, but um, whenever you're talking to somebody like that, you're talking to somebody who's intellectually dishonest. And that's the place that they need to be challenged. There is so much information out there. If he wants to find it, you say he is an, uh, an intellect, uh, and there's a lot of smart people who, who don't understand that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of intellect. But, but he's just being dishonest because he won't check it out for himself. All he has to do is dig in and find out. And what I would do is challenge him, say, you know what, you're so smart, but you're, you're intellectually dishonest. And and there's just no point in me talking to you about this anymore. Now it sounds like you enjoy talking to him, but but really, um, the, the the discussions are getting in the way of of any work that God wants to do in His heart. Just say when you want to be honest, then we'll talk. And he'll say, well, what do you mean I'm I'm intellectually dishonest? Just say you haven't even found out for yourself. All you're doing is reading what other people who don't believe in God say. And God forbid, with the Internet, we have a, a, a plethora of those people that, that, that can sound or try to sound like experts. So all I would do is tell him there's so much information. Now, if he's really an intellectual, um, buy the book for him. It's uh, Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It's the new evidence that demands a verdict. And uh, all the information is there about how we got our Bible uh, how we arrived at what is and is not inspired by God. Um, um, the, the manuscript evidence is overwhelming. The prophetic evidence is even more overwhelming. And all he has to do is honestly ask the question. And if he would go before God, even a God he doesn't believe in, so okay, God, if you're real, just challenge God. God, if you're real, then what I want to do is... You show me, you proved me that this Bible is your word, and God will do it if you'll dig in and check. The problem is, like a lot of scientists, he begins his so-called research with the assumption that there is no God, thus there can be no Bible. So the translations, have, you know, we've, we've got so many manuscript copies, more manuscript copies than, than any other ancient uh, writing by far, we have more evidence that the Bible is real and can be trusted than we do that Shakespeare wrote what we call Shakespeare. Um, uh, Homer, the Iliad, uh, is is the second oldest piece, and and there's thousands and thousands more manuscript copies of our New Testament, um, the Old Testament. We've got the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, but but all he's got to do is be honest enough to look. And until he's honest enough to look, Mike, he's not going to open his heart. So, um, again, I, I know we like talking to people about these things. But it comes to a point where you're, you're casting your pearls before swine until he's uh, really ready to be honest and dig in and find out. Uh, Lee Strobel, if you want something that's easy to read. Uh, Lee Strobel. 
um, was the same way. He was a journalist who who um, was an atheist, and he was challenged. He decided to um, uh, investigate Christianity, and, and uh, the case for Christ is is a copy or a, a, a journal of that 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 uh, um, investigation. But he's done one also, the case for the Bible. And and these aren't too deep. They won't take too long. But but at least it would give him the opportunity to um, 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 you know find his own course. But but he's got to want to do it. And remember, as long as their hearts are already closed, already hard, and and they've already decided that there is no God or there is no Bible. Um, there's all kinds of people. The devil's been saying, "Did God really say from the beginning?" So Mike, I, I just. There's just not a lot you can do there. You gotta want to know what's true, and he doesn't want to know what's true, and so you're wasting your time. I wouldn't talk to him about the Bible. I'd talk to him about Jesus. I'd talk to him about sin. I'd talk to him about what God has done in my life. But remember, when they stop listening, that's when we ought to stop talking. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate the question. Here's a question from Philip. He says, "Converts versus disciples. Can you explain the difference?" Um, Philip, yeah, I can. Uh, a disciple, the word simply means a follower or a student. So a disciple, Jesus said that we're, we're supposed to, to make disciples. He never said that we're supposed to make converts. Now, we know the conversion has to occur before somebody can be a disciple. But the job of the church, the job of individual Christians is to go into all the world and make disciples. So uh, th- those are just students or followers of Jesus. A convert, of course, is somebody who is unsaved, who um, the Holy Spirit reveals the, the, the truth of their own sinfulness and the truth of Jesus Christ crucified and risen from the dead. And then that convert surrenders his or her heart to Jesus Christ. And then the responsibility of the church is to turn that convert into a disciple. So uh, the, the, the idea of being a convert is something that uh, far too many churches focus on. Uh, usually uh, that, that's the job of an evangelist, but too many churches are, are, you know, they're finding that getting people in, entertaining them, and, and theoretically converting them um, leads to full seats and lots of money in the offering boxes. But our mission as a church Philip is to make disciples and the idea there is very clearly that that it's not enough just to be a convert you know it, it, it would be like being a uh, born as a baby and everybody is born as a baby but imagine if you stay a baby you stay in that diaper um, when you're 35 years old well we expect people to grow up and that's what a disciple is it's it's somebody who's come to faith in Jesus Christ but now they're studying, they're on a mission to find out more about him every day. Uh, they want to be more like him every day. And there are men and women who really dig into their Bibles to learn more and more about Jesus. So that's the difference between a convert and a disciple. And again, Philip, we have uh, a lot of churches who are really, really woefully lack in the area of disciple-making. Thank you for that question. Robert says, how can we know for sure that God isn't behind the evil uh, in this world since he was behind some of the evil done by others, like sending an evil spirit to Saul against David and others? Um, well, in, in him is light. There's no darkness at all. Uh, James says that, that no one, when, when tempted, can say God is tempting me because God can't do that. Uh, we know that God cannot be behind the evil because God is good and his mission to rescue people from evil precludes the possibility of him being behind the evil. Now, Robert, here's what it means. In, in the case of Saul, you know, David was so faithful to Saul. Every once in a while, the, 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 a spirit uh, would trouble him and David would have to dodge javelins flying across the, the room that they were in. Um, um, when it says an evil spirit from the Lord, all that means is that the evil spirit had God's permission to do that. That's all it means. It doesn't mean that God caused it 
or that's what God wanted. We know that the, the, the demonic spirits, Satan himself, and probably in in uh, the case of David, it was it was Satan himself who was behind it all. We know that Satan was inspecting Job and asked God for permission. We also know that the Apostle Paul, um, a messenger from Satan, was was permitted to buffet him in the flesh, but but they had to go through God. So the, the fact that God didn't refuse or God didn't say no uh, is is um, is the only responsibility he bears. And evil spirits are going to lie and they're going to try to destroy us. And that's just what goes on all the time. But we know from our Bibles that God is good. In him again is light. There's no darkness at all. And um, so, Robert, that's how we know. That's how we know. Hal says... Is the God of Catholics and Christians the same? Uh, how yes. The answer to that question is yes. Now, the practice of the Catholic religion is not consistent with the Bible. Um, but one of the reasons that Catholics are such a bountiful uh, evangelism target is because the God of the Catholics and the Christians is the same. Uh, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, Jesus is the Son of God who is God the Son. The Holy Spirit uh, is the same, uh, although not in practice, but the Holy Spirit is the same. The person, character, and quality of God is the same. The difference, how, is the approach. Um, Catholicism teaches that uh, the church, the Catholic Church, is the way to the Father. Uh, Jesus says he's the way to the Father. Um so, so there's all kinds of heretical practices in the Catholic Church, but again, the reason they're such a a, a fruitful evangelism um, target is is because they already have the same God, um, Father, Son, and Spirit. Good question. Teresa said, uh, "I'm going to a new church." And I want to know the best way I can be effective serving there. Um, Teresa, you know, the best way you can be effective is to simply let the pastoral staff or the the women's ministry leader, uh, staff leaders there know that you're there and you want to serve. Say, this is, uh, I'm coming to this church, I'm new here, uh, but uh, I want to serve and uh, tell me how I can serve, tell me how I can help. And then be willing to do whatever they ask you to do, as long as it's nothing bad, of course. But uh, that's the best way you can be effective. Uh, I, I tell this story a lot, but, but the, the guy who's the producer of this radio program, uh, when he came to Calvary Chapel for the very first time uh, 16 years ago, uh, he wanted to make an appointment to see me. And I thought, oh, I don't have time for appointments now. I'm, you know, I do counseling and stuff like that. But um, I said, what, what does he want to talk to me about? He said, well, he just wants to talk to me. So I, I let him come in. And he introduced me, or introduced himself to me. I knew his first name, but he introduced himself to me. And and I said, well, how can I help you? And he said, I'm reporting for duty. I've never had anybody in all the years here except him do that. And when he said, I'm reporting for duty, you know, a lot of times people don't follow through on that. This guy's been serving faithfully for 16 years. and 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 that's pretty effective. So I think that's the best way. Get to know people in the church. Um, uh, get involved in, in, in ministry teams so that you have developed new friends in the church. And uh, you're going to find the relationship is, is wonderful. You know, um, we, we have kind of a unique situation here, Teresa, because we have a small facility. Uh, but we have tons and tons of people. And um, one of the ways that we've really been able to keep ministry um, fresh and full of fun is that the people serving in those ministries become friends. And it's just a vital atmosphere. Um, and, you know, we, we get to see everybody again because we're in a small facility. But but the best way is, is to serve. And each of those um, different ministries become um, fellowship groups. Um, you know, the people hang out together. They love each other. They go out after church together. Uh, it's just that's just the way a family works. So, um, make sure it's a good Bible teaching church. Um, 
find somebody in position of leadership, introduce yourself, and say, I'm here to serve. How can I help? Okay, i got maybe time for one more question. I do. This one is from Morris. He says, uh, I'm laughing. How often can we miss church and still be okay? Morris, you're not okay. If you ask that question, you're not okay. What do you mean, how often can we miss church? It's not like Jesus is taking a role. But why wouldn't you want to be here? The fact that you wouldn't want to be in church means you're not okay. It means your priorities are all over the all over the the, the, the place and, and 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 Jesus just says, Hey, how about you be where I want you to be? Be where I am. And the idea that you want to see how much you can miss church and not feel guilty, uh, you don't understand anything about what the church is, Morris. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get alone with God, talk to him, repent of this attitude. And then you need to check your heart. Why don't you want to be in church that belongs to him where he's the head? And we're told in the book of Revelation when we're gathered together in his church, he's right there in the middle. And this is where the Holy Spirit is working. This is where we can use the gifts that God has given us to be a blessing to others. Morris, it sounds to me like you got a little bit too much you in your process. It's getting in the way of your relationship with Jesus Christ. So Morris, don't miss church. Just go. Just go. Tonight I'm going to be teaching in the First Thessalonians, Sunday on the book of Mark. Remember on Sunday, our summer baptism event at 3 o'clock. That's when we'll start eating. And then we'll get in the water probably around 4 o'clock. We'd love to see you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a great weekend serving the Lord. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.